Welcome to season two of the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. It's still irreverent. It's still weird. It's still the show that you love to tolerate. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to the Knowledge from the Couch Podcast, Season 2, Episode 6. What's happening, guys? How is it going? It's another lovely Friday and another lovely episode of the podcast. I won't mince words too much. Uh, Life is going pretty good. Life is going pretty decent uh, at the moment, so not a whole bunch to talk about. Uh, I'm thinking, hopefully, within the next two or three months, we'll be upgrading the show to maybe a better version of itself when I can finally afford, uh, reasonably afford, I should say, some some more of the equipment that is needed to do that. So keep your eyes open for that very, very, very soon. But yeah, uh, not much else to talk about at the top of the show. Don't want to waste everyone's valuable time. You came here to listen to a podcast about something interesting, not my life. Which, of course, isn't all that interesting. So, without further ado, today's episode is about a series of wars between the UK and Iceland. And you might be surprised who came out on top. Knowledge from the Couch Season 2, guys. Stay with me. got a we got a strange one on deck today uh i i didn't really realize until i started recording this that oh it looks like i'm gonna record another episode where uh the uk is involved because it seems like the uk especially in its entire um empirical life and then up to you know it's it's more modern sort of uh, democratically elected constitutional monarchy, commonwealth type life has always really been kind of uh, tempted to engage itself in in a in a great variety of of conflict, and uh, this one is really no different. Uh, you you think that they were the United States just going around uh, pursuing the the mission of freedom? around the earth by blasting everybody into the fucking ground. But really, the English seem to, at least in the uh, latter half of the 20th century, seem to uh, favor wars that either aren't really wars or are kind of just a little dinky-ass 
fucking wars that don't really matter much. And we're going to talk about one of those today in the COD Wars. Now, these are wars, in quotation marks, that aren't really considered war. It's more trade war kind of situation, but it's really interesting how somewhat belligerent the UK and Iceland got with each other. I mean, you think about it today. Like, think about it modern nations right now. Uh, Iceland is Iceland, just this place with a bunch of volcanoes and lagoons and weird shit and Game of Thrones uh, films there, and it's like Iceland full of, like, blonde, pretty people who lift weights. Like, that's Iceland. And the UK is, you know, Chip Chip Cheerio, Britain. So it's like, what? why would these two ever fight each other, ever? Well, in in the the long history of these two nations, you can imagine that one of the biggest industries for both countries, for both nations, for both people, is the fishing industry, because they are island nations. Um, very especially for Iceland, Seen as Iceland is kind of isolated uh, compared to the UK being, you know, basically a few miles off of mainland Europe. Uh, Iceland being many, many hundreds of miles away from mainland Europe and just kind of being out there in the middle of nowhere by itself. And being a nation that really doesn't have a lot of fertile ground to grow crops. Uh, Iceland really, really relied on fishing to sustain to sustain its people, much like Japan. Japan doesn't have very much fertile ground either, and they rely a great deal on fishing. So you have that for their culture. You also have that with British culture, since even though there is a decent chunk of fertile ground to grow things, there is a large population on the British Isles, and there's probably not enough room, to be completely honest, to grow food enough for the people who live on those islands. And since it's an island nation just like it, surrounded by water, and you know Britain with their whole navy thing, like it's a very uh, uh, seaworthy type of country, they're also going to be heavily into fishing. And you think, okay, that's fine. Iceland can be fishing, and they can be happy. And England can be fishing, and they can be happy. Well, of course, it's humans, and that could never happen because everybody has to fucking fight and hate each other. So, even though these two nations were fairly far away from one another, their ships still traveled around all these areas and sort of bumped into each other, and their uh, fishing zones would overlap, and inevitably, of course, it would lead to conflict, which is insane to me because... Come on, England. I mean, you're huge. You know, you have way more people. You have way more ships. You're way more powerful. Let uh, Leave Iceland alone. There's not that many people there. Let them just fish where they're going to fish, you know. But being being them, being the UK, being like the, the uh, successor of the British Empire, they still have this little thing in them, just like when we talked about with uh, the... Falkland Islands War, just this little thing in them that just eats at the back of their skull. It just talks and talks. Like, you know, you're still the British Empire. You can still fucking do whatever you want. And they're like, oh, yeah, Mike, we can we can do whatever we want. We can just go around and just fucking do whatever. We want. Okay. God save the queen. And then they just do whatever they want. It's just 
come on, it's Iceland. There's like seven people on that island. Let them go fish. Like, don't bump into them. They're they're not fishing necessarily to support their economy, like in the biggest way. Obviously, they would export fish that they would get, you know, to other nations. But their their business obviously wasn't anywhere near what the British were doing. Yet the British were like, okay, uh, you're getting into our waters, and we're gonna fight you. All right, Iceland, we're going to fight you, you little bastard. It's like the big bully picking on this little kid who's just trying to, like, make its country work. So, in the lead-up to the Cod Wars, and yes, there are multiple of these, in the lead-up to the Cod Wars in October of 1949, Iceland initiated a two-year process that was going to extend the fishery limits of their area, a grand whopping Four nautical miles from the shores of Iceland. Watch out now. Four whole miles off of their shores, they wanted to fish. Oh, my God. It's the end of the world. Call the police. Four whole miles off the shores, they wanted to fish. So the British, although they weren't really too upset about this in general, still were like, eh, we're still not a huge fan of this whole thing because they just, you know, the the British in, in, in all of, of sailing history, you got to have to understand, the British really enjoyed their seaworthiness. They really enjoyed being like the masters and commanders of the ocean. So literally they were everywhere. And despite this only being four miles off the shore of Iceland, like barely anything, they still were like, okay. Okay, Iceland, let's oh, okay, let's back up a little bit. I mean, okay, four miles, mm, mm, I don't know about this. And so what they did was ban Icelandic ships from landing in their ports. Iceland was a huge fishing exporter to England. England not only would fish their own waters, but they would also... Uh, import a great deal of fish, much like, you know, if you think of a the modern United States. We export a great deal of food, but we also import a great deal of food. It just is what it is to support your population's uh, food supply and variety. You tend to both export and import a lot of things. And the U.K. imported a great deal of fish from Iceland. But then they were like, no, nah, we're not going to do it anymore. Uh, ports are closed uh, to nobody except... For these Icelandic ships, you guys can't come. You guys, you go go do your shit elsewhere. Well, this was a huge blow against Iceland's economy because they're like, what the fuck, man? Like, <laughs> we're fishing. We have all these sweet fish that we find around our area, and we want to sell those fish to you guys because we know you like fish. So here's some fish. And England's like, no, mate, no fish for you. And then, uh, okay, so being the Cold War, and this is actually very early Cold War, being in this, this kind of goes from 1949 into the early 1950s um you know we're just a few years off of world war ii uh a a few years really around the korean war and the cold war is at its you know first real standstill and the soviets always looking for an in somewhere decide that because you know a western power in the united kingdom doing what they do to bully Iceland's fishing industry decide to step in and buy a bunch of fish from Iceland saying, hey, we'll be the ones that you can sell your fish to. That's cool. We'll buy your fish. You don't need them. You just need us. 
And obviously, this triggers the United States fearing that the Soviet Union would gain a great deal of influence in Iceland, and Iceland being you know basically in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, a very close influence near the United States. Now, obviously, not as close as say Cuba, but fairly close as well. Decided, oh hey, we need to purchase Icelandic fish as well. And then they also decided that they would persuade Spain and Italy to also become large purchasers of Icelandic fish, which overall dampens the UK's ban on Iceland coming to the British Isles and selling their fish because now Iceland's like, hey, these Russians are buying all our fish and these Americans are buying all our fish and all these Spanish and Italians are buying all our fish, so fuck the British, we don't need them anymore. And then the British are like, okay, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, you can fish for miles around your shores. Now, it sounds tiny and dinky, but really, when you think about it, uh, most nations only really have sovereignty around a very small area of their uh, ocean from their shores, and then the rest become what are called international waters. And so Iceland feels like four miles is what we need to make this work, you know, outside of our zone, and then the rest of it's going to be international waters, like, please let us have this. So, in the lead-up to the very first Cod War, Iceland makes gains in their fishing operation. Then, the first Cod War starts in 1958 and lasts until 1961. This begins as soon as a new Icelandic law expands their fishery zone from that four miles that we just talked about to 12 miles off the shores of Iceland. Now, interestingly enough, every NATO member, which is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization made up of a lot of Western European states and the United States, all opposed this unilateral Icelandic extension. So the British declare that their trawlers, which are these like kind of ships that go around and fish, would fish under the protection of their actual warships in three different areas, out of the West Fjords, north of Horn, and to the southeast of Iceland itself. In all, 20 of these British trawlers, four warships, and a supply vessel fished and did ship things around this newly declared 12-mile zone. In February of 1960, Lord Carrington, who was the minister responsible for the Royal Navy uh, himself, reported that his ships near Iceland had expended half a million pounds sterling worth of oil since the new year and that a total of 53 British warships had taken part in these operations. Iceland could only deploy seven patrol vessels and a single Catalina flying boat as, as I guess, defense against this weirdly aggressive type of fishing. Like, England came out and was like, we're going to fucking fish the shit out of this place. And they just send, like, battleships and shit with their fishing vessels. Like, what is this? Okay, I mean, I guess you are all mad that Iceland decided that four miles wasn't enough, and then now their territorial waters were going to be 12 miles, and that was going to be their waters, not international waters. But come on. Come on. You just pop out with your fucking battleships like, okay, time to fish, mate. And it just it just blows my mind that these two nations would get so absolutely belligerent and angry at each other just for these two little things. Of course, 
in Iceland. This leads to protests against the United Kingdom, saying that the United Kingdom is being extremely aggressive and belligerent against their sovereignty, which the uh, in in Iceland, there is obviously a, a British consulate, a British um, embassy. And the man inside that embassy, Andrew Gilchrist, who was the British ambassador, decides that he doesn't give a shit about what Iceland thinks and decides to taunt the Icelandic protesters by cranking out bagpipe music and military marches on his gramophone record player. So you just do just like, oh, well, hey, fuck you, Iceland, just cranks out his record player and just starts blasting music like he doesn't give a shit, of course. The only real incident that happened during this particular COD war was on September 4th, where an Icelandic patrol vessel attempted to take a British trawler off of the West Fjords and, and haul them into harbor and, I guess, sort of whatever, arrest them in, in whatever way they see fit, but was thwarted by the HMS Russell, who had intervened, and then the two vessels just ran into each other. Okay. Then on October 6th, another incident takes place between an Icelandic ship uh, who had encountered a British uh, fishing trawler again and decided that they were going to take this ship and, you know, it was within their 12-mile zone. This ship hadn't stored its nets legally. We're going to fucking take this ship. Once again, the HMS Russell comes to the rescue, and its shipmaster orders the Icelandic captain of the other ship to leave the trawler alone because it was not within the four nautical mile limit. Obviously, the four mile limit was what British the British forces recognized, and the 12 mile limit is what the Icelandic forces recognized. So obviously, it's somewhere in between. The uh, captain of the Icelandic ship said, fuck that shit, I'm going to come up and, and fire on your ship if you don't goddamn leave. To which the Russell says, we'll sink your ass if you don't leave. Look how many goddamn ships we have. To which the Icelandic vessel says, okay, and runs back home. Overall, there's really no good way that this can resolve itself in an actual combat situation. But Iceland has leverage. Iceland is is part of NATO as well. Like I said before, uh, all the other NATO nations were very against what Iceland was doing with this 12-mile zone. Iceland eventually is like, well, you know what? As a member of NATO, fuck this bullshit. If you guys aren't going to let us do what we're going to do, then we're out of here. And it was huge leverage because if you look at a map, there is what is called the GI-UK gap. The GI-UK gap refers to G, Greenland, I, Iceland, UK, the UK. And the water, particularly in between Iceland and the United Kingdom, is a pretty large gap in the Atlantic Ocean, uh, particularly the North Atlantic Ocean, when it comes to you know shipping, and as a member of NATO, Iceland allowed you know U.S. forces and other forces to you know basically squat on Iceland and patrol these waters, uh, particularly with submarines and other you know anti-shipping measures. And lo- the loss of this land would basically mean the gain of this uh, uh, sea, I should say, the gain of this sea to the Soviet Union, seeing as Iceland would not be a NATO member anymore and they would be open to, you know, diplomatic relations in those ways to the Soviet Union. So Iceland uses this uh, leverage 
very well. Now, it was kind of a ballsy move because Iceland is just kind of this dinky little country, but they were very smart in knowing that they were in a strategically important position uh, uh, in the nautical sense. So they used this leverage and threatened to leave NATO, expel U.S. forces from Iceland unless there could be a good conclusion to this dumb little dispute. Eventually, of course, this ends up having Iceland win their 12-mile Icelandic fishery limits and the British running off with their tail between their legs, having lost some more territory to fish in. Now, of course, since this was the first Cod War, that must mean there is more. And there is. The second Cod War then takes place about a decade later, between September of 1972 and November of 1973. So, as you can see, and you'll see the pattern very clearly, the Icelandic government wants to extend its fishing zones again. This time, they want to extend it a great deal. The first time, they extended it to 4 miles. Then they extended it to 12 miles. Now they want to extend it to 50 nautical miles. Oh, boy. So they are really expanding this bad boy, and the Icelandic government had two main goals in mind when extending these limits. One was to conserve their fish stocks because they were a growing nation and they wanted to always have enough fish and always, you know, enough fish to export as well. And number two, to increase their total share of the catches around the area. Of course, as you can see from that and the pattern involved, the British were not happy at all with this. They had basically halfway gone to war with Iceland, just over a fucking 12-mile zone. How are they going to react with a 50-mile zone? Not in, not terribly not terribly well, not terribly happy about the situation. Now, the British contested the Icelandic extension with their own two goals in mind. One, to achieve the greatest possible, possible catch quota for British fishermen in the contested waters, of course. And also, number two, to prevent a de facto recognition of a unilateral extension of a fishery jurisdiction. So they didn't want people just to be like, well, fuck it, we're just going to continue extending because we just are going to do this. And they didn't want this to happen and continue to happen and you know, basically having them lose their own sort of fishing waters at this point. And the British point of view in that whole uh, just the, the random ex- expansion for no good reason, for arbitrary reasons, was actually supported not only from all Western European states, but also the Warsaw Pact being the uh, Soviet states. So everybody in Europe was basically like, okay, okay, dude, come on. But Iceland had support from the African states, having made a plea that year that what they were doing wasn't an opposition to uh, colonialism and imperialism, of course, which Africa had suffered greatly under from a lot of Western uh, European powers. And so they were standing in solidarity with the Icelanders. So anyhow, Iceland on September 1st of 1972 begins their enforcement of their own law that expanded their fishery limits to 50 miles Despite this, numerous British and West German trawlers continued to fish within this new zone because they said, we don't give a shit. Of course, Iceland, now after about a decade from the previous conflict, had beefed up their their navy a little bit, I mean, in relative terms to the way they used to be, and decided to employ these new patrol boats in an interesting way where they connected these giant, like, cutting devices on the back of these boats 
and they would drag them a fairly large distance behind them, and they would sail circles around these uh, trawler fishing boats and cut their their fishing lines as a way to prevent these boats from hauling in any of their catches. As you can imagine, this went a lot like the first war, uh, minus the cutting, of course, where frigates from both sides would kind of pop off at each other. They would try to drive the fishing boats away. The British would come and start to escort their fishing boats with bigger frigates, and then there would be a bunch of just shelling back and forth, but nothing really comes of it. Everybody just kind of making warning shots, uh, pushing each other around, calling each other names, and everything going on like that. Interestingly enough, the only casualty in this conflict came in uh, August of 1973, wherein one of the Icelandic vessels uh, collides with a British frigate, of course, because they were always running into each other, and the engineer on the Icelandic uh, ship died from electrocution because he was using his welding equipment after seawater had flooded his compartment. He was killed, and he was the only death in this entire Second Cod War. The Second Cod War basically culminated in the capture of the CS Forrester, which was a British uh, fishing ship, uh, trawling around within the 12-mile limit. So this one really went deep near Iceland and was, was captured by an Icelandic gunboat, which towed it to shore. They later imprisoned the captain of that ship, Richard Taylor, to 30 days in prison and fived him uh, 5,000 uh, pounds sterling. He was then released on bail after the owners paid 2,200 pounds sterling, and the trawler was also allowed to depart with their catch of 200,000 uh, or 200 tons of fish, excuse me, and her owners then paid a total of 26,000 pounds for the release of the ship, which didn't make them very happy, was basically the only cool or ridiculous thing that happened during the Second Cod War. And now you might be thinking, oh, well, we got two Cod Wars, that should be the end of it, right? Of course it isn't. There is a third and final, this is the final Cod War that took place between the November of 1975 up to June of 1976. And as you can imagine, it follows a very familiar pattern. Now, Iceland wants to extend its exclusion, uh, exclusionary fishing zone from 50 to 200 nautical miles. So we started with four miles, then we got to 12, then we got to 50. Now we're up to 200 entire miles from the coast. Of course, the British government was ultra pissed off about this and didn't want it to happen because, come on, if they were pissed off about a four-mile extension, then they're going to be pissed off about a 200-mile extension from its coast. And this conflict, even though nobody died during this conflict, it became probably the most aggressive of all with so much ramming of different ships and firing on different ships, uh, a total of 55 different ramming and firing uh, and conflict-type incidents happened during this particular uh, uh, span of the Third Cod War. Overall, there weren't any really crazy incidents, uh, much like the, the CS Forrester incident during this particular Cod War, but in the end, 
Iceland came extremely close from withdrawing from NATO. And obviously that is sort of their their trump card every single time these sort of things come up. But they 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 push out their exclusionary fishing zone. Britain gets mad. They fight each other about it for a while. Then Iceland goes, well, we're just going to quit. We're just going to quit NATO and fuck this shit. And everybody just sort of bows down to their demands because Iceland is in extremely strategic position for the Western powers. And even though Nate, uh, Iceland was very pro-Western in their in their uh, attitudes, they still would use this Trump car because they wanted what they wanted. They wanted to sustain their economy and sustain their sovereignty over their area and were actually willing to leave NATO if it came down to it. It wasn't like, oh, they just said, you know, it, was, it wasn't a boy who cried wolf situation where they kind of constantly threatened to leave but weren't going to do it. They actually, especially after this third Cod War, probably would have done it had they not got their demands met. So, of course, Iceland wins again and their demands are met, which is very difficult for the the British people to uh, to swallow. Overall, as a result of these three separate COD wars over two decades, Iceland was actually able to achieve its overall aims. And as a result, the already declining British fisheries were hit super hard by being excluded from their prime fishing grounds. And the economies of large northern fishing ports in the UK, like Grimsby, Hull, and Fleetwood, were severely affected with thousands of skilled fishermen and people in related trades losing their jobs and being put out of work. The cost for repairing the damaged Royal Navy frigates who were involved in this conflict was probably over a million pounds sterling. Probably the only war that anyone would ever lose to the small island nation of Iceland. And now, your non-sequitur fact of the week. This is an oft-quoted interesting fact, but it is still always one of my favorite ones to bring up. Cleopatra, of Egyptian fame, lived closer in time to the actual first moon landing than she lived to the building of the Great Pyramid in her own native Egypt. Wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. And thus concludes our 26th episode of the podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening, as usual. Uh, I do apologize lately for getting these out a little bit later on Friday. Uh, Work is busy and takes up a great deal of my time, but I'm still pumping these out on a weekly basis, just a little bit off the beaten path and the beaten schedule that we have set in. But do not worry. We're still making episodes. We're still getting them out in as timely a fashion as we possibly can. You can follow the show on Twitter at the couch pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Steinhauser. You can follow me on Instagram at Kyle F for fantastic Steinhauser. You can follow our group on Facebook, search knowledge from the couch podcast, and you will find us there. Listen to the show wherever you can find 
Podcasts, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Overcast, TuneIn, all the places that do podcasty type things. If you go to your Play Store, App Store, whatever you do, search podcast, you can find an app that will eventually lead its way to my show. Leave a review. Rate the show. The better we do that, the more people can hear it and the more people can listen to my ridiculous take on the history of everything. Be sure to catch me personally as a guest on the All Things Action video cast. Two separate episodes I'll be on. There is one currently out this week where host Aaron and I talk about superhero type stuff and another episode which will be uh, airing next week where I talk a little bit more about history in the context of the action hero. So I will link that in the uh, the notes of this show. I will also link it in any time when I do release the podcast on Friday. So do all those things and make sure that you're being nice to everyone around you. Guys, thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Live long and hopefully you'll prosper. I'm